Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country and around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray, as advertised on the Voice America Variety Channel, and I'm just always excited, happy, charmed to be with you for another edition of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. As you'll discover by spending an hour with us each Friday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, or your various times around the world, we'll take some interesting people, interesting issues of our day, many of which, of course, are not discussed by the so-called leaders, and provide an in-depth analysis showing how, if we apply libertarian values of what? Responsibility at all levels of society, both financial and otherwise. A live and let live philosophy, a respect for each other as individuals, that in fact we will all rise together frequently and many times at the expense of a lot of powerful and established special interests. As many of you know, in prior editions of All Rise, uh, we have brought in various religious uh, practitioners, religious scholars, uh, others that are on the ground with regard to uh, various religions and, and philosophies of the world, and talked about the commonalities. And we've gotten into this, and we're going to do some more of that with Rabbi Reuven Mintz, who is our guest, our esteemed guest on this edition. Reuven is R-E-U-V-E-N, Mintz, of course, M-I-N-T-Z. So we're going to just get into what Judaism is, uh, its relation around the world, a relation with other religions, other practitioners, etc. And we just, uh, I expect to be, in effect, figuratively, almost literally, sitting at the feet of this wonderful man uh, who has a great background, a great understanding of the world, a great uh, amount of integrity. So uh, I'm building you up, Rabbi Mintz, but I mean it. So welcome, and, and uh, we'd just like to hear a little bit more about who really is Rabbi Reuben Mintz? Well, firstly, thank you, and good morning to all who are listening in. It's truly an honor to be uh, with you on the show today, and uh, I look forward to spending a bit of time uh, sharing and enlightening uh, us with, uh, with that. I, uh, uh, I'm just a young rabbi here in Newport Beach, California. My journey began uh, some 47 years ago. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my parents were first-generation Americans. My grandparents had escaped uh, uh, Nazi-occupied Europe, uh, just you know, barely making it out in time, uh, losing... Uh, uh, the overwhelming majority of uh, their families, uh, siblings, parents, grandparents, who'd been, who had perished uh, in the uh, Holocaust. Uh, I was raised uh, going to uh, Jew private Jewish day schools in New York, eventually going on uh, uh, my higher education, choosing to go uh, into rabbinical school. I attended uh, uh, rather boutique rabbinical school starting at New Haven, Connecticut, 
um, uh, just outside of Yale University, went on to Miami Beach, Florida, and concluded my studies in, in New York um, in New Jersey at the Rabbinical College of America. Um, I have uh, uh, went on to marry my wife, uh, Hannah, uh, who we have a beautiful family. We uh, have six children, uh, ages uh, aging and um, in range of uh, our youngest is four, our oldest is 20, uh, who is actually in rabbinical school now in Florida, following in his hmm. dad's footsteps. Uh, we moved here to relocate it to California in 2001 and um, establishing the uh, Chabad Center for Jewish Life. Uh, my wife and I, it's part of the uh, Chabad network of institutions, which is the largest uh, network of Jewish um, educational and social service uh, in organization in the world today. Um, with over 3,000 locations. In fact, this weekend, uh, the annual conference of Chabad rabbis uh, takes place uh, in New York City with close to 5,000 uh, clergy members uh, gathering uh, for a weekend of uh, sharing of ideas and inspiration to go out and uh, motivate their communities the world over. Mm. Uh, we started in our uh, literally out of our living room and have grown into uh, in 2014 we moved into our existing center a 20,000 square foot center on the upper back bay in Newport Beach and we're on the tail end of a massive uh, upgrade and uh, remodel to the facility that's going to be ready uh, God willing in uh, February of uh, 2020 oh, and we're soon. super excited about that we've also in addition to serving the uh, Jewish community here in Orange County. Uh, we have uh, founded uh, the local chapter of Friendship Circle, which is a non-denominational organization for uh, young, for children and adults challenged with um, uh, physical and emotional disorders, uh, psychological disorders, uh, serving the greater community, the special needs community with uh, summer and winter camps, uh, sports leagues, support groups um, for parents and siblings, and uh, serving over uh, 560 currently in the program. Once our center is completed, we will have uh, some of the uh, most advanced uh, therapy rooms for autistic children in, in uh, California, and we're super excited about uh, being able to serve that segment of the community. So it's it's been an exciting Rabbi, this is just uh, wonderful. This is this an exciting just, run here, and uh, I'm look, looking forward to uh, you know the, the years ahead and the challenges uh, that we have. Well, as I say, with some frequency, life is good, and it's made better because of good people like you who are out there. Uh, I happen to think that probably the greatest thing that can, that the most important thing in life is gratification of helping other people, of making the world a, a better place because you are here. And it can be, say, the whales or the redwoods or people or whatever, but you must be getting a great deal of gratification out of what you have told us that you are doing. Just hats off to you and thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's uh, truly an opportunity uh, that I, uh, my, our family and our staff 
volunteers have been blessed with uh, to be able to serve. And uh, I have one thing that I realize on a daily basis, and it's many of the, we have a unique volunteer base. We have over 260 teen volunteers in our friendship circle. And the amazing part of it is, you know, they come in, some are being looking for a community service hours that they are, uh, sure. are mandatory in many of our schools today, and which are quite minimal, maybe 15, 20 hours, but we're seeking far more than that from them. But what we hear across the board is as much as they have given of themselves, of their time, their resources, they have received so much more in return. And I feel that way every single day, being privileged uh, to to be able to serve and be there for, for so many. Well, let me let me take you back because any time I hear these stories that your your grandparents barely escaped from Nazi Germany or or those areas, and at a young age, in fact, it was between junior and senior year in college, I, I took a trip uh, and actually. Uh, went to Dachau, uh, and, and it just, it lives with me forever. Uh, no, you know, I didn't do it, present German people didn't do it, and the rest, but we need to keep these things in mind, because actually, and kind of bluntly, I think this sort of discrimination is in all human beings. Uh, we sublimate it, and I never thought I would ever be involved in, in anything like what's happening in these prisons, but, but it's in us all to kind of discriminate or look down at other people. And we were then recently in Prague in uh, the Czech Republic, and it went to Teresin, which was a concentration camp. It wasn't mostly an extermination camp, but again, just bringing into mind that we human beings have, have faults. And, and I, I still remember, Rabbi, that no, they didn't have execution chambers, but they did actually shoot some of the people, many Jews or gypsies or whatever, and talk about the sadism, but they wouldn't shoot them in the head or the heart. They'd shoot them in the stomach and make them even suffer even more greatly. It was just such a, such a psychotic disease. We have to be aware of these things. We never put it out of our mind, and we should continue to show people what has happened in the past so we can avoid it in the future. And, and I, my heart goes out to your grandparents and your family. You know, we have to, uh, you know, sadly, uh, the Holocaust was primarily perpetrated by, uh, you know, Germany, uh, the, the, the Nazis, uh, with um, a willingness on the part of, uh, you know, many other Europeans. Uh, there's a book out uh, a number of years ago, uh, you may have read, uh, Hitler's Willing Ex Executioners. And... Um, you know, if you think back of Germany, you know, prior to the Second World War, uh, was at the forefront in many areas of, of science and medicine, very educated, very uh, aristocratic society. And yet, look what has become, look what has, you know, evolved from that. Um, what's heartbreaking is the, you know, uh, w within that, and, and I have... Um, visited the uh, Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum in uh, Israel. And there's a, a special uh, part there that is dedicated to the 1.5 million children that were sadly lost, uh, uh, tragically yes. lost in the Holocaust. And, you know, I remember yes. to, reminded of one story how this young six-year-old child 
was uh, fleeing, uh, you know, with his parents and a sister um, when the Nazis had marched into town and were, you know, rounding up the individuals and putting them on cattle cars heading out to um, Auschwitz. And, uh, and finally, he was uh, hiding in a trash can, and he was discovered by a uh, Nazi officer who opened the can, and, you know, this child was shocked, and uh, in the pure innocence, this child reached into his pocket and took out what was most precious to him, that all he had was a little lollipop, Hmm. and put it out to the officer, offering, will you take this and allow me to run free? And the response was a bullet lodged in this six-year-old. It's just an evil thing. But let me, evil, we'll come back the to... The thought of that, we'll, you know, yes. that happened 1.5 million times. You could go on, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's something that simply must be, must be discussed. And, and going to these museums is important for all of us. And I know that when the uh, Allies finally found these various places... Uh, that they took tours, they required tours of the, of the German people there to go through it. I know that they, many have been really recalcitrant about that or, or upset. But let me, let me go back a little bit, because I'm really interested in, in your personal story about how you decided to become a rabbi. Was there rabbis in your family? Uh, just tell us what you, the thought process you went through in order to chase that, go after that just noble cause. So actually, good question, uh, and, and thank you. Uh, the I initially, my uh, uh, youngest uh, desires, aspirations, was actually to go into law. Uh, I would actually sneak out of school in Brooklyn to the courthouse periodically and observe cases. Uh, I had a, uh, a, a passion uh, for law, uh, read quite extensively as a child, as a teenager. Uh, Where the shift came was I was raised in um, going to a Jewish day school that was part of Chabad, was the the organization and movement I'd mentioned earlier, and uh, something that the uh, founder of here in in America of Chabad, the Rebbe, who is known as one of the greatest leaders of our century past in uh, 1994, had established was a part of it is, you know, uh, outreach in the community. And as a teenager, I would go out on Friday. Uh, we had a uh, early release from school, and I'd get on a um, subway to the city with some of the knowledge I had uh, studied all week in, uh, in school and um, visit uh, Jews and, uh, and, and others with with a friend of mine. In fact, it, where I had gone to was the municipal building in Lower Manhattan, uh, where the eighth floor of the building at the time had uh, a great deal of uh, attorneys uh, representing in-house counsel for the city of New York. And we had great discussions with them. I was, you know, at the time 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, and uh, they would pick my brain. I would share some, you know, the wisdom, the inspiration that I had studied from ancient texts, the Talmud during that week. And uh, as much as I looked forward to it, uh, many of them uh, equally, if not greater. Back when I had gone to summer camp, 
My uh, parents would get calls, you know, when is, when is Reuven going to be back? I miss those uh, Friday visits. And what I had realized was that as a young man, uh, the impact that I was able to have on adults during that period of time really uh, uh, shaped and formulated my opinion that, uh, uh, you know, this is the, the route I'd rather choose and, and continue on. And in fact, many of them had, uh, when I would discuss areas of law with them and my desire to go into that field, uh, a number of them had uh, actually discouraged me from pursuing that, saying, you know, what you're doing now, and if you can continue that in greater measure, uh, you, you'd find, uh, you know, greater meaning and happiness. And, uh, and I'm glad I did pursue that. And that led me ultimately to uh, enter rabbinical school. My father actually was an ordained rabbi. Uh, it was not a pulpit rabbi. He was an educator, a dean of a, a Jewish high school in Jersey City, New Jersey, for many years. Uh, and uh, I did follow him as um, uh, five of my siblings are also rabbis uh, scattered uh, uh, throughout the country. I have one here wow. in Southern California, three in Colorado, and one uh, in New York. Um, five, uh, four of us. So you've, are, got, um, you've got us surrounded, don't you? I, I, absolutely, and uh, and we we all equally uh, enjoy it and find great meaning, uh, you know, in the uh, in exp- in the experience and the in the daily sure. grind of it. I love it. I wouldn't know. I was turn it in for anything after, else. After uh, graduating from UCLA, I was in the Peace Corps for a couple of years, and I, I think that I'm still in the Peace Corps in a lot of ways. And and I'll even speak up for our profession that that we are and an ability in the legal profession to be able to really help people as well and keep them out of trouble and get them uh, on their way once they are. And we can do that in any walk of life. Uh, you know, We can all be rabbis. We can all be Peace Corps volunteers. We can all be forces for good, and no matter what, what we do, and, and, and good for us. But how does... Okay, so you said you had a background in, in, uh, in being a rabbi and, and you strayed away from the law and went into being a rabbi. How does one actually become a rabbi? You mentioned rabbinical school. What does that entail? So uh, with the background of, uh, you know, going to Jewish day schools um, from a young age and through middle and high school uh, actually had um, had given me and padded my uh, knowledge enough to go into rabbinical school being able to complete it in under four years. Um, now, it, you know, there's um, a great deal of intense study, um, theology, uh, the, the mystical side of Judaism, known as the Kabbalah, uh, the teachings of the ancient Zohar, the Kabbalists, um, and then just practical Jewish law. Uh, there's uh, And then there's on... The uh, Chabad rabbinical schools had um, on-field, in-field training. So each summer, uh, I would go out to work with remote communities, primarily Jewish communities in uh, far-flung areas. I had spent um, a summer visiting 13 cities in Asia, helping establish uh, uh, some of the existing communities that, that are there today, for instance, in Shanghai, China, and in, uh, in Hanoi, Vietnam, 
uh, we had at the time when I was I'd spent a week there, we established the first Hebrew school that was housed in the Israeli embassy in Hanoi. We had encountered a, uh, a number of Israeli families with young children with a, a lack of Jewish education, and uh, we helped them establish it and furnish them with uh, curriculum and uh, knowledge and know-how to be able to uh, work with them. And uh, you just, uh, you know, various uh, tasks going from, you know, literally jumping from community to community in Asia, South America, uh, Central America, uh, the, for, the Russia and the former republics. Um, so that was uh, on on-the-job training. Uh, you know, so we took you know nine or ten months of through intense study, and had been able to apply that year over year and build. Uh, ultimately, in graduating, was a very well-rounded and um, uh, uplifting, enriching experience. Um, is it required to go through that experience before one becomes uh, a rabbi, the, or is this something you did? Uh, this, for the most part, by and large, the rabbinical schools that I, the, the school that I had chose uh, within Chabad, that was uh, primarily the uh, program formulated, uh, and it's, um, uh, you know, one of the best out here today yeah. in producing. It's certainly broadening. Uh, it just it would give you a perspective, uh, and I take Mike children traveling and show them that not everywhere in the world is like a planned community in Irvine. And actually, they actually have a good time. They enjoy themselves. And, and uh, what, a, what a wonderful broadening experience that would be. It's one of the things I tell my children, whatever they choose to do or not, to be able to, to take some of that time and experience that uh, on so many levels. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, it helped shape who I am today. Uh, really? you know, I remember going as a, um, uh, just prior to going into rabbinical school, we, this was in 1992, uh, a group of uh, our graduating class had decided that we were going to go to uh, Russia and the former republics, uh, which was in turmoil, you know, the, the downfall of communism, the breakup of the former Soviet republics, or all the the chaos that was going on, we were going to go there and run a, a summer camp for children there. Um, now there wasn't much resources on the ground there, so eleven of us we were you know eighteen, some of us were nineteen, had worked for six months. Firstly, we studied the language, and then we had worked with the uh, Chabad, the local community there, in finding out their needs and how many children and so on. And um, we had. Uh, uh, sent containers of uh, filled with sports equipment, uh, food, and everything that a, 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 a summer camp experience that we would have uh, and be able to replicate there for those children. Now, upon arriving there, we, we found children coming from, you know, uh, utter poverty. You know, I had gone to, to summer camp and filled up a trunk with, you know, eight, eight sets of uh, clothing. We didn't have to do laundry for, you know, week, 10 days or so, these kids were coming to sleepaway camp with, uh, you know, some with one or two changes of clothing at the most, and many with just a shirt on their backs. For, well, we just, you know, Rabbi, have a, 
have just a couple of short minutes before we take our break, and uh, I'd just ask, like to ask you first, uh, for how long has the Jewish faith encouraged and allowed female rabbis? Because that's unusual in some religions, but not with uh, Ju- Judaism. So that's a, that's a good question, and, um, you know, interestingly, and I'll try, you know, we, we're short on time here for this segment, but in a nutshell, you know, Judaism has, uh, it's, it's rather recent, however, what I'd like to focus on is really the role that women have played in Judaism uh, from its founding. You know, Abraham on, you know, equal ground as Sarah. In fact, Sarah was noted to have greater prophecy than that of Abraham. And in Abraham's struggles, he often turns to her and, and you know, sometimes is told by God, listen to what Sarah has to say. The uh, We see... Uh, the ketubah, which is the traditional marriage contract that is used today under every Jew- Jewish, uh, uh, you know, marriage ceremony, uh, dating back unchanged for you know two thousand years, is all about women's rights. So when wow. you know when the rest of society was, you know, many had viewed women as, as mere items. Judaism always played placed great emphasis. In you know, in in the dignity and respect and the treatment of women and the role, uh, you know, through various roles of leadership. So um, uh, we, you know, it's 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 rather not a new phenomenon, but it's it, it, it's had uh, its role. You know, the, the women being the foundation of the home um, has has been an integral part uh, within Judaism from from its founding, and we see that throughout our literature. And teachings and the Talmud and so on. Well, that's that's just to be applauded. And of course, uh, at home, my wife has told me forever that uh, she has more prophecies than I do. And and uh, I listen to her and say yes, dear. But uh, you're you're simply right. And we go back to our founders of this country. And and uh, women were were not given that equal spot. We're getting a lot closer, and hooray for that. But I do know that the Judaism has uh, done that a great deal earlier and, and continues to. So we're going to just take a break. We're talking with Rabbi Mintz uh, from here in Orange County, a friend of mine I openly acknowledge. And by the way, if, if there's ever anything, Rabbi, you feel that I humbly have within my service to offer and what you're doing with your autistic children, your friendship circle, any of those things, please feel free to call upon me. Call upon anyone because people of goodwill will flock to your doorstep to to try to carry on these good works. So we're going to just take a break uh, for a moment, hear a few other good words, and come back and really delve into the uh, in today's society, on treatment of, of Jews, uh, treatment of, we're going to talk about the commonalities among various religions. Uh, time is, is fleeting, but we're going to get a lot of insights and get into some practicalities after these words. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
the Libertarian Party, is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit LP.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at LP.org. Together, we can move mountains. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray on All Rise with my esteemed guest, uh, Rabbi Reuben Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z, from here in Orange County. We are friends, and I'm learning from him as, as we're going on. I've learned a great deal off the air and now on the air. I can also say that I mentioned my wife earlier, but she has said, oh, come on, Jim, let's, let's get a little levity in the uh, discussion sometimes. So I'll add this, that I've been recently, Rabbi, reading a book on anti-gravity, and I just couldn't put it down. At least that's, mm-hmm. that's my effort for the moment, uh, and it only gets worse from there. But I can also tell you, Rabbi Mintz, that, when I was in the Peace Corps, they gave us a, a Peace Corps locker filled with books, and one of the books that was there and I read was called The Religions of Man, and uh, I learned a great deal about the world's great religions, but I came away with a real appreciation of Buddhism and Judaism, that it just seemed to be a uh, humane, humanitarian, uh, practical, consistent, integrity-type religion. Now, I know that you've been involved with religious studies at the Chabad Center for Jewish Life. What does that entail? Uh, just tell us a little bit, because that is an active center. You mentioned it a little earlier, but, but provide a little bit of, of what you do there. So we have a, uh, a, you know, a, an array of programs um, that we provide here f- from uh, you know, educating our youth uh, with various uh, programs for the young, uh, uh, a robust uh, adult education program with uh, JLI courses, JLI uh, standing for the Jewish Learning Institute um, courses. Uh, one of my favorites are the Journey of the Soul, uh, you know, getting to know where you know the essence of who we are, where we came from, our purpose, you know, here on this planet, what we are meant to accomplish and go on. But we, you know, we go really in depth. Uh, in these courses that are prepared by some of the greatest scholars and historians from around the world and are brought to us locally. Uh, and these same courses are, you know, given in over 300 locations, and we're, you know, delighted to be able to uh, provide them to the local community. We do a weekly uh, uh, Torah studies, uh, which are, you know, timely classes uh, for timeless classics of the Old Testament, seeing its message for us, you know, today in 2019, you know, what is the, the, the guidance calling, and, and, and how does it apply to our lives today? We have a whole series of guest lectures and so on. In fact, one of, the, one of which I'm working on currently is bringing uh, uh, Eva Schluss, 
who is the stepsister of Anne Frank. Uh, back, uh, she currently lives in London, and she, God willing, we hope to have her, uh, you know, back in Orange County in March of uh, tw- uh, this coming year, um, uh, perhaps at the uh, Segerstam Center. Um, but she, if you you may recall, there was a. Um, uh, she was actually visiting last year Chapman University during that time in March. We had a uh, an incident uh, at the local Newport Harbor High School, where at a an off-campus party there was a group of uh, teenagers who had engaged in um, uh, uh, creating a swastika and in, 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 uh, doing the Nazi salute to it. And uh, I had arranged at the time for Ms. Um, Schluss uh, to meet with those students. And, and it has had a, a great impact on the uh, on those young men and women that were involved and have, many who have been have taken on the roles of uh, leadership in the areas of coexistence and tolerance on campus, uh, removing swastikas from textbooks and in restrooms and so on. So we, you know, it was an unfortunate night of partying, but turned into a very positive sure. Outcome whereby we're actually taking thousands of young students to the Museum of Tolerance up in uh, Los Angeles uh, to the Wiesenthal Center. Many of the uh, uh, faculty has gone there for over the summer for a Tools for Tolerance program. So this is you know much of the work we provide you know on site and into the greater community uh, has been you know a wonderful service. Uh, uh, we don't have a membership per se. We serve the greater community. Uh, thousands. We've been able to touch thousands of lives uh, from you know all across the board at our center here. Well, you and and again, thank you for this. It's just so grounded and just so helpful and needed. You mentioned the word tolerance, and I think you're aware that uh, we have a website. Uh, several of us called www.projectunderstanding.com. Project is P-R-O hyphen J-E-C-T understanding.com and we have I think it's 15 authors that are religious practitioners, religious scholars and they focus exclusively on the commonalities of the religions and the philosophies of the world and there are many and, and you mentioned one which is this one just hits people over the head and should that the religions of Judaism, Muslim or Islam and Christianity trace their God back to the God of Abraham. I mean, it's all the same. That is called a, a commonality, but can you, can you give us your thoughts about the commonalities quickly uh, among the various world's religions, please? You know, it, it, we have much more in common than we realize, you know, Judaism being the mother religion. Um, and it's really, you know, for each individual to understand and what we see, the thread that really runs through these uh, the religions uh, is far greater, uh, and if we focused on what unites us rather than what divides us, we would come away with so much more. Uh, <clears throat> one of the one of the unique teachings I, I see the most profound is the that every individual is special, is unique, is a partner, is partnered with God in the creation, the ongoing creation and repairing of this world. And every individual, every human being, is uh, charged with a unique task within that. Uh, I cannot accomplish, uh, Judge Gray, what you are able to accomplish, and vice versa. Everyone has that unique 
uh, mission. And when we collectively engage in that, and I think this is something that, you know, the, the collective religions bring to the fore, but when we focus on that uh, and, and take to our duties and our roles in this world, uh, we can accomplish a, a, a great deal from wherever we stand and wherever religion uh, that we engage in to, you know, bettering and perfecting this, this world and making making it God's garden as it truly is. The uh, In short, it's like a great, beautiful musical symphony. If you take out one note, the entire composition is negatively affected. We should each see our role, what we play, and what truly we so. And, and we all that, have a role that's to what play. Binds us. Yes. Yes. Uh, of course. In fact, <laughs> there is an old quote that I understand that my son, you are truly unique, just like everybody else. And and it's true. But we're also we have that common bond. We are all wandering through this world together with with that, and, and we can help each other so much. And and we focus on these commonalities, and it goes back thousands of years. But candidly, and and uh, I, I have made public comments on on occasion. I have made comments here on this All Rise show that I view one of the major civil rights issues of our day today is how we treat Muslims in America. And and we all know that Jews have been persecuted throughout history, in my view, more than any other religious or ethnic group that I know of, and it's been a, a continual thing. But from that perspective, Rabbi Mintz, what is your view of how we are treating Muslims today in our country? Great question, uh, Judge Gray. And, you know, I think that we can collectively be doing a better job uh, how we're treating uh, the Muslim community, how we're treating each other as a whole, uh, getting, uh, taking the time uh, to understand uh, Islam and other religions and how we can, you know, complement each other. Um, you know, we were created uh, uh, as in, you know, imperfect, and we strive for perfection. We must rid ourselves of <clears throat> some of those preconceived notions, the stereotypes, the labels that we have placed on, uh, on Muslims and, and other mi- minorities, for that matter. Uh, and, you know, just go out of our comfort zones, think out of the box, engage with, with, with those uh, in our community. And I would say every community across the country today has, has a mosque and has uh, a thriving you know, uh, Muslim community. You know, go you know, volunteer alongside them, work with them, get to know them, interact with them. Obviously, well, then after... After 9-11, and we saw this, and we passed the so-called Patriot Act, which I still rebel against, and, and so often there are fear mongers in our country, and fear is, of course, contagious, and, and some people play upon it intentionally, but they were, in effect, equating Muslims with being terrorists, and I've had people on this show, Rabbi Mintz, where, and they're, they're Muslim, and they say, you know, when they travel, they're given extra attention by the TSA and are asked just arbitrarily, well, did you, know, did you meet any terrorists while you were away in London or whatever else? I mean, it's just these stereotypes, and the Jewish people have been the subject of stereotypes, so I would think that, that the Jewish people could identify uh, more easily than many with, with what has happened the way we have treated Muslims since 9-11. 
Yes, yeah. You know, there are obviously, you know, extreme elements of Islam that we see, but we, we must be careful not to take the brush and paint, you know, um, a billion people with that same brush. And, uh, Truly. you know, just, just get to, they're, they're human beings. We all emanate from the same, you know, uh, source. You know, in fact, in, in, in Judaism, uh, we both Islam and um, in Judaism, we revere Abraham, uh, you know, as our forefather. And uh, I, I think it's um, here, here in America, although, you know, I think, you know, both Jews and other, you know, Islam and other minorities have, uh, <clears throat> did not have an easy go. Uh, and that has shifted over time, you know, depending on what's, uh, you know, going on in, 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 over the, in the greater world. Uh, but, um, you know, Jews as well, as, uh, you know, we, we think of uh, how Jews are treated in this country. You know, I mentioned before the incident of uh, anti-Semitism. And people, all, you know, oftentimes ask me, living, you know, elsewhere, in, you know, in New York or Los Angeles even, you know, is it, is it challenging as a Jew, you know, living here in Newport Beach in Orange County? And uh, I say, you know, it's never been better. This is a wonderful place. I've, you know, been uh, greeted, embraced by uh, uh, every segment of the community, every religion. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a wonderful blessing, this beautiful mosaic that we've, you know, grown here together. You know, historically, uh, uh, let's, uh, you know, we, we, Orange County has not been that way. You know, we're, uh, we've had the John Birch Society here. Uh, but the, just going back for a moment to the incident that we had at the local high school, I don't view that in getting to know the young men and women that were involved with it and other such instances, incidents uh, is uh, primarily ignorance. And I think this is... And uh, thoughtlessness. Yeah, just, and just thoughtlessness. Plain, we, we, yeah, thought, absolutely, absolutely. And we have to, as educators, as community leaders, as just citizens, as human beings, we have to take a more active role, be more proactive in educating our youth. Uh, there is a study out uh, about just over a year, maybe 18 months or so, uh, that uh, was taken amongst millennials, that two-thirds of millennials are uh, not sure or certain what the Holocaust was or when it took place or who was victimized and how many people were murdered. Uh, that, is that, that is our fault. That is our fault in society. Absolutely. And uh, and they're they're thirsting, they're yearning for the knowledge, for the education, and you know we as a uh, as a community have to be doing a better job uh, to that. Uh, you know, going on, it was just recently, I think last week, I was reading about a study. Um, you know, going back to your question about how Muslims are treated, and I think this is uh, true. Uh, I, I, this was in relation to Judaism, but I'm, I, I wouldn't think it's a whole lot different when it comes to Islam, is that this study was that two in, a, two in ten Americans uh, had heard their uh, uh, leaders, their clergy in, you know, at services, had made negative statements about Judaism or Jews. Um, and, you know, here in, this is 2019 America. Um, 
you know, turned turned the clock back a century and or two. It was obviously far worse. But you know, we have to collectively, you know, work on you know understanding each other and and um, rooting out, ridding ourselves of, of, of prejudices and hate and really. You know, uh, we're all God's children, and we can be doing a better yep. job at being there for each other uh, on, a, on a regular basis. Our neighbors, you know, we're, we're all brothers and sisters. We're in it together, and we will overcome any challenge that faces us as a, as a nation, as a people, uh, as humanity. You know, you, you use the word mosaic, which I think is really descriptive and, and really accurate. Uh, and you also uh, strived in me, and this is a little off the, or different subject, but many of our millennials today are favoring socialism. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, it sounds good, lots of free stuff and the rest, but, but there's a cost. And try, try socialism in Venezuela sometime or Cuba, too, but, but it's a question of education. And, and it is up to the elders uh, to, to promote discussion. And as I say on this radio show, I'll say at any time, we should be able, Rabbi Mintz, to discuss anything. Openly discuss it, and, and we don't mean to have to yell. We can disagree with each other, but we ought in our society, particularly in America, to be able to discuss anything. But that leads me back to, to another question that you've touched on, but how do you feel that Jewish people are treated here today? in our country and around the world. Is there progress being made? Uh, we, we hear about anti-Semitism raising its ugly head occasionally, but what is your view as to that? You know, uh, anti-Semitism as a, uh, as a whole, um, you know, here in this country, but primarily in Europe, uh, is on the rise. Uh, it's definitely concerning, uh, you know, what we have seen uh, happening here um, it's the oldest hatred it's been around for 4,000 years I don't think there was ever a period in history that um, it did not exist in this world uh, having said that um, you know, we you know we have made great strides in uh, you know at least in this country where we have as Jews we have been able to live you know freely and openly uh, it's definitely been more challenging. Uh, we've had um, uh, two, in the, just in the last year, uh, uh, two shootings. You know, one just uh, not terribly far, about 60 miles uh, from us in uh, Poway, California, um, in San Diego County. And then the, uh, we just marked the one-year anniversary of the horrific attack in the, uh, the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, I attribute to just having this discussion recently with uh, some law enforcement uh, uh, folks uh, about that. And, you know, they had brought up the point that uh, uh, the, at least the gentleman in Pittsburgh had been uh, lured on by, uh, you know, uh, online uh, and social media where he had, uh, you know, it was just a, I believe he was a truck driver who had, you um, uh, lived on his own, but got so much darkness and hate from over the Internet. Uh, so I think, you know, as we're evolving, as technology is evolving, uh, and we, we take this, you know, one of the oldest hatreds and, and kind of re-examine what we can be doing better to uh, 
create a more tolerant, a more uh, accepting society and, and root out those extreme elements, those elements of hate. That, that The darkness, Judge Gray, has existed from the beginning of time. And it's so simple and easy. You know, the, the analogy is given, you know, you, you don't use brooms and sticks to push away darkness. You come into a dark room and all you do is light a candle. And uh, the candle of love, the candle of uh, of accepting and embracing and educating and just love, just sharing kindness, it can, it can go a, a, a yes. long way of justice. And uh, you know to do to uh, to do that. So uh, yeah, yes, these things, these um, they're concerning. I mean, we have nowadays. Uh, uh, I, I've been to Europe. Uh, 20 years ago, and every practically every synagogue or, or, or Jewish center you had gone to had armed guards outside of them, and that was unique to Europe back then. Uh, Judge Gray, I, I'm you know in America today, any synagogue you walk up to uh, for a service, you will encounter that same thing here nowadays, and that's the sad reality of it that we are living here. Um, but I think over here in Orange County, uh, I have, um, you know, I, I look locally at the history here. I talked to some of the, uh, what I call the early Jewish settlers here who came here, uh, you know, in, this, in the 50s and 60s, who encountered a great deal of anti-Semitism, some who had to uh, change their names and not openly acknowledge that they were Jewish. Uh, nowadays, yes. that's not the case. Uh, yes. You know, we can you know, in, in, your, in your comments, Rabbi, too, uh, it reminded me of a study. This was years ago, but it, it still seems to, to live with me. That There was a study of human beings, and when they were walking on the street, opening doors for people, smiling, being, oh, after you, but if you put them in their car, there's more an, anonymity. You're anonymous more so. Then you cut people off, and you don't let people in, and that sort of stuff. And we're seeing the an, an anonymity today in our society, for example, on the Internet. And if you can shield your identity, many people's true nature comes out, and it's, sometimes it's not a good thing to see. And we all have that, that incentive to scapegoat others. You know, anything goes wrong, couldn't have been my fault, it must have been someone else's fault. And so you get a group of people... And, of course, the Jews have been scapegoated for, for centuries. But, but it's all there, and we all need to work on it. And I'm just really impressed with, with what you have said about the not only individual efforts that you're making, but it's an institutional effort in, in Judaism and, and your teachings. Uh, and, and just these, this is the answer. And it's not easy. It's education. Uh, it's a lot of thoughtlessness in our world. Uh, by those high school students, you know, there's... People would wear blackface, and it wasn't necessarily malicious. It was just meant to be funny, or, but it was mostly just thoughtless. And, and uh, I think that people on both ends, uh, those that are seen as victims, should be a little, should lighten up a little bit, not be quite so sensitive. And those people that are in majority uh, should be more considerate. And of course, in some ways, we're all in the majority in some issues and the minority of others, but just get more consideration. And what you have said is just living that completely, and, and you're to be, be commended for it. And, and I, I do think we're making progress as well. And give us, give us your insights and wisdom, if you would. How can all of us do better? That's kind of what we've been talking about all hour, but are there any individual insights that you could have some teenagers sit down figuratively on your lap and provide this insight, this wisdom, these recommendations to them. What do you say? What do you think? 
Yeah, firstly, I, I, I couldn't agree more with your, uh, with your comments and your thoughts. Uh, you, well, right but, on, but Jeff, Rabbi, as you be, always be, are, and be I careful. appreciate hearing those enlightening. Be, be careful. Be careful, because you can get into a lot of trouble agreeing with me. You have to understand well, that. No, no, I, I, we're, we're going to have you, uh, you know, share more of that at our uh, once our center is is completed uh, this coming year, and I look forward to that. I would love it. And um, uh, to your question of, you know, just you know, sharing some wisdom, and and uh, we we can all, you know, we we have to thrive uh, to do better. You know, um, we're just. Um, a little under, uh, a little over a month out from Hanukkah that begins on uh, December 22nd, and one of the uh, universal messages of Hanukkah is um, with embedded within the menorah. So there are, uh, it's a candelabra with eight nights. Each each night, we kindle uh, a, a new light. The in the ancient temple, we actually lit the entire menorah. We do it differently now to incorporate a profound message. Light is symbolic of goodness and kindness embedded within each and every one of us. And there's an endless flow of it. The good we do today, the light we bring into this world today is great, but it will not suffice for tomorrow. Tomorrow is a new day. We have to add more light, another candle, Next week, we have to build on that and take, take that momentum and continue to climb to make this world a better and brighter place for us, for our communities and, and humanity the, the world over. There's a, and we also, another thought is, is taking responsibility, as you began the show with uh, those words. We, we, we are custodians of this world. We, we have an ownership stake in it. Uh, it's not uh, we don't we, we don't just own the you know the homes that that shelter us from the outside elements. It's really the uh, our our home is essentially the world we live in, and um, we we have to take that you know more seriously um, and think about when when there's a a suicide. When there's a murder, when there is a a young man or woman who has overdosed, we can't just look at it and say, "Oh, that's you know that happened, you know, in the city next to you know city next door or the, or the block uh, away from us." It's it's our what are we collectively, what have how have we how have we failed that young man or woman who sadly oh, and, and has so. been taken from us. And well, when we, ladies and gentlemen, collectively, you, I have asked for some wisdom, and we have been receiving it here from Rabbi Reuben Mintz. Uh, and any time there's a homeless, there's there's a, an injury, there's disabled. But we are in this together. I am so blessed in my life, and it's only right that I help to give back. You have heard this rabbi talking about giving back. It's kind of a, a religious humanism, if you wouldn't mind my making that comment. But but there we have it. You know. We, we, as in the libertarian mood, talk about what the private sector can do as opposed to relying on government. Nobody is forcing Rabbi Mintz to be involved with these wonderful efforts. Nobody is requiring this. He's not getting tax money. 
we in the private sector can do things so much better than the government, employing these libertarian values of responsibility, like the rabbi is saying, and, and acceptance. And my goodness, tomorrow is a new day. Uh, light is a, sim- is a symbol of goodness. It truly is, and kindness. That's what we've been hearing. That's what we work for. And if we employ those values, we literally will all rise together. So if a t- not only a tip of the cap, but a bow to Rabbi Reuben Mintz. Thank you for being with us, my friend. I remind you, if there's ever anything you think that I can contribute to your work, please do not hesitate to call upon me. It's the only thing that will upset me with you if you don't call upon me for that. But that's what we're doing here. We're trying to spread these words. We can discuss anything. We're all in this life together, and if we do that, we will literally all rise together and get the gratification that comes from it. So that's it. I really appreciate your t- spending time with us. Thanks again to Rabbi Mintz for your, for your wisdom and what you're doing. And we'll talk again next week on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. In the meantime, I say, and I mean, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bones, that help us control. We are Americans Oh